welcome to Feminine Founder, where we talk all things recruiting, hiring, business, and entrepreneurship. Today, I have Ann Walsh joining me. Ann is a career coach and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Thrive HR and co-founder of Robotics Jobs. So welcome, Ann. Thank you. It's very nice to meet you. So I'd love to hear your story, how you got into the HR space. Mine's a little bit of a crazy story. I was a you know, an alternative student. I went to school full-time during the day as an older student and also worked, um, you know, I worked 60 hours a week and took six classes at a time. And uh, somebody happened to come into the bar that I was working at and offered me a job through the business card out. The manager, um, he called the place that I was working and said he wanted to meet with me. He was the president of Computer Sciences Corporation, and he hired me as a financial analyst. I got there. I was there for a couple of weeks, and he tapped me on the, not he, but somebody in the group tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, new girl, go over to the HR department. And I realized I could use my finance skills and my personality, and it was Nirvana. Love it. That's huge because CSC is a huge company. I've recruited for them in a past life and they are everywhere. So the fact that you were handpicked by leadership to go from finance to HR is huge. It was really interesting. I think it was just luck of the drawer. I was happened to be sitting next to the HR office. And then when she left, they were like, all right, who can we just plop in there? But I really crafted my career and honed it through the years after that. I became a recruiter and then went from recruiting to inside and then realized that I wanted to work in the technology sector. I worked for you know very large consulting firms as a recruiter. And then I went over to the tech side in the startup world and I absolutely found my niche. I love the startup industry. I've been very blessed and lucky that I've been able to work with a lot of fabulous startups and see the growth. So speaking of startups, I mean, a lot of times we hear the word buzzword company culture. And when you're a startup, how do you know when to start making that important? So I believe for startups, making it important is probably after the first 10 hires are absolutely critical in a startup. But people tend to take it a little bit more seriously in and around number 20 20 employees, they tend to look at it and be like, okay, here's the guard that we had. We hired these people that we happened to work with in the past, or, you know, I know them, they're my cousins, uncles, you know, whatever. But when it comes to 20 employees, they say, okay, who do we want to surround ourselves with? And what do we want the company to be? I like to see companies look at it a little earlier and in around 15 employees, because it is, uh, the, the ones that start the company tend to are the ones that really shape it. And it's very difficult to switch when you have too many employees and it's run amok, as we know. It, uh, startups are chaotic at times. So speaking of startups, okay, you have you really start making an emphasis on company culture at employee 15. How do you keep that culture as they continue to scale? 
it's really about understanding what are the values, what are what's the mission of the company, and have everybody look at it. And then you build a program around. It's really grassroots at that time because if you bring in an HR person at that time, you sh- I've been number 14, I've been number 24, I've been like the lower numbers when they bring in somebody you know, a senior as me, they know where they want to go and what they need is our the traditional programs at first, but it's all about feedback and moving very quickly and making decisions. And because you have to be very agile to work at a startup, you can't be wedded to what you're doing today because it could change tomorrow. But in having the right mindset really does enhance the culture. If you have somebody that's so dead set and this is the way we're going to do it, they're not going to make it. So you have to weed those people out very, very quickly. You don't want to be turning people over, especially when you're in the startup phase. You might have, you might be in, you know, you could be seed round or series A at that time. And you've invested in these employees. You don't want to, that's why we use recruiters a lot of times. You want to make sure you hire the right ones and then they understand what you're trying to accomplish. But I do notice that the culture definitely shifts after 25 employees and then the other milestone is about 50 to 60 employees because people were generalists before, you know, they were the 10th employee, they were involved in all the decision making. And then when you get to the 50, 60, you become a specialist. And then they don't really like that. They want to be involved in all the decision making. So the culture dynamic shifts I see a very big shift after 50 employees. It's one of the pivotal roles in the company. You need to make sure that people understand and are communicated that this is what's happening and why you're becoming a specialist versus a generalist. And you might not be involved in all the decision-making that you used to be, but it's all about communication. So how can HR go in there? So I'm sitting here imagining you being hired at employee 14, and then now you you're at the 25 person mark and then now 50. So how can HR go in there and help structure the company and help from a leadership standpoint to keep all the trains on the track so that people do have divisional duties and they're not just generalists anymore? It's it's difficult because you have to get a lot of buy-in from leaders. And a lot of times with startup, they are they have great ideas, but they've never managed before, and they've never managed a product. They may have managed a product in a larger company, and this is their baby, their idea, and it's like, oh, um, nobody can do it as well as I can do it. You have to get them and really encourage them to see the big picture and work on the leaders first and help them understand, okay, this is what happens, this is the change, and and communicate with their employees. I find that a lot of startup CEOs, the newly minted CEOs, CTOs are very passionate and they want, they have envisioned that it would be a certain, you know, this is the way it's going to run. Well, it doesn't run like that. Um, Things change on a dime and you have to help them get over their fear of it has to be perfect. So if you surround he or she with people that actually know the business and know that division and know what they're trying to accomplish, 
you can get them out of the day to day and out of that and, and support um, the team members. And if you constantly giving feedback, it is a, you feel like a therapist some days because you are constantly giving feedback. You can't do this. You can't do that. We're not the naysayers or the fun suckers of the world, but we are the ones that help really keep things on track. There's a lot to go in HR, but the main thing is it's all about your people and developing them. And I feel that where companies fall down is because they feel like they don't have enough time or enough resources to invest in their employees. You can invest in your employees. Time is something that you have to give your employees in order to maximize their development. Where do they want to go? How can we get them there? And if you don't have difficult conversations where they can improve, you know, you're losing out because people become mediocre. But managers, it's a delicate balance because people are afraid to give, have tough conversations. People rise to the occasion. You don't have to be mean. You just give it. It's like shooting from your gut. Tell them in concrete, okay, what's going on? Why are you working? Why it's not working? And have a dialogue about it. And it's it's not rocket science. People rise to the occasion. I've seen more often people gravitate towards the negative feedback and they disregard the positive because they hear it all the time, but they want to know where they can grow and how they can get there. How can HR help their managers with having those tough conversations? If, especially if they're not used to it, it's intimidating. I know, but we, I have a lot of executives role play with me and it's important that they have a safe place to that they can have those vulnerable conversations where they can flub up instead of doing it in front of the employee, they can have a conversation with me. But having communication and, you know, communication, constant communication with the employee, those difficult conversations shouldn't be arduous. They shouldn't be something to worry about. They should just be natural. Hey, I, you worked on this project last week and it has to be timely. And that's where managers, they try to save everything to have a conversation on the quarterly or annual review. I think they're missing a very big opportunity. Time goes by, people forget, and you don't have an opportunity to correct the behavior. And you're actually doing a disservice to your team member by not telling them. Companies don't appreciate and develop their people. People leave. People leave. People have choices. Yes, everybody's talking about how bad the economy is right now and everybody is looking for work and can't find work. People can find work out there. And a lot of companies are out there poaching good employees. So people do have options. So one, they become disgruntled and then you only get people that are kind of checked out. You don't want that. And if people don't invest in their employees, they will look for opportunities in either other departments or externally. They'll just start quietly looking. And it's not something they're doing overtly, but I've seen it happen several times, many times that people are not happy. They don't get any feedback. They're not, there's no development plan. And then I've also seen where companies put a lot of development in the employee, but they don't put development in management or leadership. And those are the ones that are very critical. They're the ones that are 
helping to create your culture and enhancing your culture. They're doing the hiring and they have a lot of decision-making power. You should give them the tools that they need to succeed. And that's a great investment. I do believe um, executives should have executive coaches, somebody that they don't know, that's somebody that's outside the company. I do not believe that HR should be an executive coach for people that are internal. I know companies disagree with me on that, but I think that they would get a lot more from somebody that is impartial. One million percent about that, because that just opens the door, creates a safe space for an unbiased professional not an employee of the organization. Right. And I've seen, unfortunately, you know, if somebody is working on a skill and they're talking about it through their, this, um, the, you know, executive coaching and they're working with the HR person that's making the decisions on who to get promoted and who not to. Some of your private conversations, I've seen it happen. I've been at the, at the table and I've seen some things come out that you would think should be kept confidential. And I do believe if you go to an external um, executive coach, it's, it, is, um, it is something that is kept confidential. So why is it important for HR to have a seat at the executive table? I've seen many different structures, structures over my years in recruiting where HR does have a seat at the table and then where HR does not have a seat at the table. And I feel like there's so much more impact that can be made if they have executive buy-in and from a partnership level, not just an employee to boss situation. I think as an HR leader, I will not work for a company. I, I choose not to work for any companies that don't give you a seat at the table. I'm at a different stage of my career, but I feel that a company that invests in HR should allow them to have a seat at the table because you are a strategic business partner. And everybody says that their employees are their main asset. Well, who's there advocating for the employee? Everybody else is dealing with their technology, the operations, making sure that there's finance or legal. You're not getting the expert that has worked with the people. And um, I've seen the structure. You report to finance, you could report to legal, you report to op- operations. Is, I have report reported to a COO. I thought that was great. He was awesome. I felt that he was um, my partner in crime for a long time. And I really enjoyed that. But I felt um, when they moved it, under him. At first I was peer to him and then they moved it under him. It was, um, it was different, but it was great. He was great, but I would not recommend not many people are great at the people side of the house. So, and having that layer between you and the CEO, isn't necessary because we know a lot. We're giving you the information and then you're trying to give the information, you're passing the information and giving it to the CEO. Why shouldn't he hear it directly from me? HR is there to advocate for the people and the CEO needs to have a, a good tap on what his people are thinking and feeling. And if he doesn't, he's completely out, he or she is completely out of touch. Absolutely. And it doesn't really, it doesn't work. It doesn't work it um, becomes filtered and the message is filtered and then they don't really understand the initiatives or why you're pushing back because it's filtered. And by the time you get the message to the CEO, they're already on to the next thing. I believe um, HR should have a seat at the table. Absolutely. Without a doubt. How can HR 
create value added solutions to the executive team? Um, one is be a confidant and talk to about the employees and how to develop employees. Also teach them how to give feedback, but making sure that everyone has a career path, knows where they can go. Obviously, there are going to be superstars that always are ready for the next promotion, but there are always diamonds in the rough and talk to them about, okay, let's talk about all your employees and not just the ones that are always getting the kudos and the accolades. Let's talk about who else is on your team. There are people that will be in the same role for their whole career, and there is nothing wrong with that. But we also need to let them know that we value them and that it's critical and their role is critical to the company. But I feel that HR needs to be a strategic business partner, talk to them as equal, and be able to speak their mind. And if you have to dance around an executive that you're working with, I think you need to call that out as well. Yes, you're going to have difficult conversations, and you're not going to agree. HR is not going to agree with every tactic and every move the executive team wants to make. But you have to look out for the better mint of the employees and understand why people are there, what motivates each person. It's very different. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by title. Some people are motivated by kudos. Some people are motivated. You know, uh, there's other people that just can't be motivated. And you have to work. The, even though a person can be fantastic, the best engineer you have, you have to be able to look at that with a critical eye and understand that that person is ruining the fabric of your culture. And, and say goodbye. And that is always very difficult. The cost of a bad hire. And that's just what you mentioned right there is that's, it doesn't matter how good a person is at their job. If they're poisoning the team or the culture or spreading negativity, it's just not going to work and it's not worth it. No, it's not. It is not worth it. And you have to say goodbye. And that is hard. That is hard. But also when you have to say goodbye is when employees have met their max. Like I know that I am a great HR advisor up to 200 employees. I am not the person that's going to bring you to the next level. You need to backfill me and hire somebody that will be, you know, somebody that has big systems, understands the big play that will bring you from 200 to 1000 employees. I can bring you from 10 up to 200, which is a very big feat in itself. But you have to know when that it's time to move on from somebody. And I believe that people have a difficulty because they feel loyalty, but you're not doing the company any favors by keeping people just because you like them. And just because you like them doesn't mean that they belong. They're not adding value. And you have to look at things with a critical eye and be unbiased. Where do we need to go? Who do we have on our team? And if you have tough decisions to make, you have to look at everyone. And even though they've been with your company for five years, they're not adding value right now. They've been sullen or they have things, they've done things a certain way, and they're at the point where they, they're just not going to learn or add value. You have to be able to say goodbye, even though that's really hard. And it is hard because I'm, I've been on the other end that they have to say goodbye to me, but I typically know it's coming. And if you do it as a, if you're a great manager, people should know that they've outgrown you. They're not firing you. They've just outgrown you. 
And as employees outgrow employers because they're not giving them the promotions that they need or the salary, or they don't feel as valued and they feel stagnant, it's just like the company on the other end, they have to look, okay, who's going to grow with us? Who can bring, who has the talents to get us to the next level? And a lot of times startup people don't fit into the large picture. And that's where it becomes difficult. And you try everything. Yes, we will try everything to find a role for that person. But sometimes it just doesn't fit. And you have to say goodbye. That's a tough conversation because you're right. You've got usually a lot of times those people have been there since the very beginning. And then, you know, once they've outgrown the role or the company's outgrown them, it's like a breakup. Oh, it is. I was recently with the company for three years and it was a breakup and I love them and I still love them. Um, but when you leave, so as an HR executive, I've been on the other side. So I try to be very empathetic to the employee that we have to have this conversation with because I am a consultant. I go in and I help build and then I move on, but it doesn't mean that I don't fall in love with them and the things that they're doing. And I'm very proud of what I've accomplished at that company. And I have very many dear friends there. It's just they needed to move on with somebody that had a different skill set than I do. And the woman's fantastic um, that took my place. And I see her as just the future. And I'm very happy for them. Even though I'm sad for me, I don't get to work with them every day. But it happens. And I do feel that being on the other side, understanding it, you can really help the manager have that conversation because you've been there receiving that conversation. And if you do it in a kind manner, uh, it goes over well. And you treat people with dignity. You treat people well on the way in, once they hear about your brand, all the way through the whole process and the whole life cycle of working at that company. And if you do have to say goodbye, you treat them with the respect. And it doesn't diminish what they do and what they've done there. It's just time to move on. And it is a breakup. It is. I felt like I lost a boyfriend. It was sad, but you do get over it because you do want the best for them. It sounds like in that scenario, it is, it's a win-win for both, even though it doesn't feel that great, but it's what's best for the company. And I have seen people having, I've had this conversation with people and I've seen people move on. They're not happy about it. They're really angry about it. Um, We've given plenty of notice, let them know. We've tried to find things for them internally. It just didn't happen. And then they found a job that really suits them. There's always something better coming along. I'm just an eternal optimist anyway, but I do believe something better is coming along. If one door closes, another one opens. And yes, it might take time, but as a company, we need to give them the resources to move on. You ha- you really should give them severance and help them deal with the five stages of grief after a job ends. So as we wrap up, how can our listeners find you? So your listeners can find me on LinkedIn, Ann P. Walsh. Um, and then you can find me at annwalsh.com, which is my consulting practice, Thrive HR Co., which is my company consulting practice. And if you're looking for a job in robotics, um, look up robots.jobs. It's a great platform. We have 14,000 jobs out there. And it's all about, it's 
all about the robotics and artificial intelligence space. And I'm very proud of that. I co-founded that with Joyce Sadopoulos. She works at um, Mass Robotics here in Boston. And we founded that due to a need because we couldn't find, we were weeding through trying to find everything. And we decided that we should just build a job board. And that has been great. People love it. That's awesome. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. So nice to meet you.